0: Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is George Cooper and welcome to the show. As Fulham made the long, dreary trip up to the Midlands... It was always going to be an uphill battle. Aston Villa looking to make it 13 straight wins on the bounce of Villa Park and Fulham haven't even registered a win away in the league since the first game of the season against Everton. And sure enough, we rolled over. It was a dominant display by the villains. We never really looked like we had a sniff. Silver linings on the fact that Raul Jimenez finally broke his duck after 20 long months. But really, the silver linings were few. Anyway, it's always good when we've got Fulhamish because it kind of acts as a bit of, you know, group therapy. It's always what the doctor ordered. And on that note, joining me today is Doctor Ravas. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, George. How are you? I'm okay. Yeah, not doing too bad. Bit of a cold. Um, Elizabeth Barnard is also with me. You're a bit coldy too. Yeah.
1: Also got a cold. Uh, will mute myself to cough though, so don't worry, guys.
0: Did you pick that cold up? Whilst catching a chill in the uh, in the Birmingham drizzle.
1: What I will say is it definitely didn't make the situation better.
0: <laughs> and also with me is Dan Cook. How are you, Dan? How was your how was your day yesterday?
2: Yesterday was dreadful. I really hated every second of it. But <laughs> Saturday, I had a really good Saturday. I, I did a great weekend. I did Wolves versus Spurs with my best mate who's a Wolves fan we legged it from the from the Molyneux to the Best Scott Stadium to watch Walsall against Harrogate <laughs> uh, and then just awaited the misery that Sunday was bringing and and we we knew we knew what was happening could tell that probably after seeing Wolves win, that was going to be the only win we saw for the rest of the weekend. And it was true.
0: Yeah, there's some, there's some mad football happen over the weekend. And it just it's always happens that whenever there's crazy games left, right and centre, Fulham are always in the the stinker, dead cert, last of match of the day kind of uh, territory. But anyway, moving on from that, Elizabeth, you've got some free word reviews for us, if you wouldn't mind kicking things off.
1: I do. And they're all around a similar kind of theme, um, which unfortunately is... Um, Not too good. So we'll start off with Chris Harris. Nice topical one for this time of year. Best we forget. In fact, so topical (laughs) that last year's pod on Remembrance Sunday was called Best We Forget when we lost against Man United. Um, (laughs) I'll go then to Matt Wall, um, who gave us McGinning to Worry, which I thought was excellent. Um, A nice sort of Tony Blair-esque call to arms from Brendan McGowan. Recruitment, recruitment, recruitment. I think that's at the front of all our minds. Um, A positive spin on it from Claire Crilly. supposed championship cheaper. Um, And we'll finish off with Lindsay, um, a sentiment that I'm sure was shared amongst the away end yesterday. I'm so cold.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny how less we forget was our three-word review this time last year. And I have to say my favourite part of uh, this kind of time of year with football is the Twitter account mascot minute silence. So if you do (laughs) get a moment, I would thoroughly recommend checking that out if you've not heard about it before, because it is absolute gold. Dan, I wanted to talk about the team selection that we went in. So still no Harrison Reid, Awobi maintained his uh, position, BDR over
2: Wilson, Raul in for Vinny. What were your first thoughts when you saw the team sheet on Sunday? I was surprised. I always play guess the lineup whenever I'm going to the game. So I was driving, so I was guessing the lineup. I was very surprised to hear that we stuck with both Awobi and Pereira in midfield. It felt like in a game where we were going to be on the back foot, against a dominant Villa side at home, I was surprised we went so aggressive in midfield. Uh, I would say that that's a, a, a probably a good combination against a team that we expect to be better than, but there was no way we were going to be better than Villa yesterday. And so personally, I was a bit disappointed. I would have had Iwobi in Pereira's role and probably Harrison Reed alongside Polina. So I was a bit concerned when I saw that. I was surprised to see Raul in because I felt after the Mooney's injury and how things have been going for him, I thought Vinny was nailed on. But obviously, as you said, the one silver lining was that he scored. So I, that that I actually was very happy about. And I thought he, we'll get onto it, I'm sure, but I thought he played pretty well, actually. And then Bobby, I think it made sense. We know that Villa can use their fullbacks to to strong effect and Dina getting down that left flank was going to be a problem. <laughs> the only issue was, as I wrote in the uh, player ratings, Bobby would have been tasked with keeping Dina quiet and he just didn't because Dina had like the freedom of the left wing in that first half. So in hindsight, it looks like a poor choice from Marco because Harry Wilson came on and was superb. But I think I could see the logic behind it and it sort of made sense, but it just didn't work. You mentioned that it was quite an aggressive starting lineup from Marco
0: and it seemed to me as if we, or Marco went for the, because we know how high up the pitch the line is for for Aston Villa and do you think that we were just going for that aggressive tactics try and beat the line as a essentially that was how we were going in and ultimately it just didn't really work out would you say Dan
2: it's possible but i feel like if we, we were to sit deep which in general we did I, I would expect more of a defensive balance in that midfield because you you're going to need if you're sitting deep you're going to need harry Harrison Reed's sort of terrier-like attitude of just sort of getting across the pitch and breaking things up. So, I guess the the argument would be once we win the ball, Iwobi and Pereira are probably more likely and better suited to progressing the ball upfield. But defensively, I think it left us wanting.
0: Yeah, we. It was one of those games that from the minute it kicked off, it was just like, "Oh, this is going to be a, this is going to be a long afternoon." Strapping of us, how long was it how long did it take for you to lose hope <laughs> that's
3: what I'm trying to <laughs> <ask>. <laughs> I mean at the lineup maybe no I'm joking I I, I would just like Dan I also thought that you had to have Harrison Reed in that middle just to shore up and actually win the ball in order to then expose their high line so I was a bit wary at that lineup as well but just that that first four or five minutes where Villagers just had the ball pure and simple and that um disallowed goal um I'm not sorry, sure not the but the the huge chance that Diaby had within the first five minutes from the coming from the left was just warning signs from the beginning, um, and we were just stretched across the field, let alone uh, the length of the field as well. Um, and we knew we we're not going to have much possession of the ball, so you'd think we needed that Harrison Ree's dynamism in the middle to win the balls, to set off our wingers, to beat the high line, to set off Iwobi to beat the high line. But we never really had a chance, and it question, kind of makes you question the tactics that we had because. With With the lineup we had are we were we planning on running with the ball through the center and maybe towards william? Because if Bobby was playing a little bit more defensive, where was our out ball because when William got the ball, he was so massively um isolated Robinson barely ran round the overlap um in that first half, and so there was a moment in that first half <laughs> where William had the ball um in the love handles as as dan and uh, uh Georgia likes to say um and he had no one to pass to for about 15 yards. And you think, if everyone's so far deep, where are the runners? Where is the connection between the lines? So I kind of slowly lost hope as the, as the first sort of 20 minutes went. Uh, and then at 2-0 down, like, you, you just go, go get something to drink instead of watching the rest of the second half, really, don't you?
0: Yeah, it's a shame. It really is. Elizabeth... <sighs> I mean, where's it all going wrong? I mean, you looked at our form last year and against the sort of, you know, the top six size, which obviously Villa this year is very much um, included in, you know, the top size that you almost don't expect to get, any, get anything out of, we would often take it to them and we'd, we'd come away and we'd fight valiantly and we even if we didn't get the result, you think we gave a really good showing of ourselves, but it, it just could not have been further from the truth on Sunday if you obviously we've got the the issues going forward and we've got mistakes at the back, which is a horrible combination, which just screams like lower mid table. I mean, dare I say it, possibly relegation fodder. But where, if you had to put your finger on it, other than those two, where where's it? Where where would you say it's going wrong? What's diff, what is different? What what's at the essence of it?
1: This reminds me of that David Moyes quote that was like Manchester United need to get better, for example, in defending, attacking, and in the middle of the park. Like <laughs> we need to get better. <laughs> we need to get better everywhere. I don't think we're being too overrun in the middle. Like we knew this was going to be a really difficult game, um, and I don't think losing away at a team that's won thirteen in a row at home means we should panic about like what's happening in the center of the pitch. Um, I like for me the problem is still up top. That's the real concern, I think.
2: Just one thing I wanted to 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 add, to like in terms of concerns, my biggest takeaway, especially after the first half, and we'll discuss the second half. But the gulf in quality between the two teams on the pitch yesterday is got to be a huge concern because because Villa are, are going to be up in that top eight this season. They're a very good side, but if we are that far off. The One of the contending teams that sits outside the top six, that's a problem because that that really lays down a marker of where we rank in this league at the moment, I think, to be that far off Villa. There's one thing being a long way off Manchester City. It's another thing being a long way off a team that's going to finish seventh or eighth. And we've got to start having some serious introspection here, I think what's also really frustrating is that we are starting
3: games on the back foot so slowly and we're playing catch up in every game that we play ultimately and i remember thinking at tottenham away let alone today that oh, if we get one goal to make it 2-1 we might make a game of it but we're always chasing these games we always start off the first half so sluggish brighton away was a similar example and it felt like marco then rollicks them at halftime and they come and play out properly at the beginning of the second half so you kind of question what what are they how is what's the build-up to the game what is their pre-match routine that's making them so sluggish at these away games that we're already on the back foot straight away. And we're already, you know, Tottenham away, Villa away, these are tough games. We want to be in their faces, just like Arsenal away was so brilliant. But we seem to be just that one, one, like we're just off the, off the pace. We're like half a yard behind everyone. And not just our movement and our press, but our thinking as well. Everything we do is almost regimented from the back, it's almost routine. Like Lennon will get the ball. He'll pass two on of centre-backs. It'll be back and forth for a moment or so. There's no movement in the middle. Everything is so sluggish to start with. And it just, it just feels like if we start games on the front foot, we might we, we make a fist of it like last year. And it just doesn't seem to be that connection this year. Now, there's, when you say, can you put your finger on it? I just, there isn't. It's just that we are not in any way dy- dynamic like we were last year. And it's not Mitro's absence because we played plenty of games without him last year. So it's, it's, it's really hard to pinpoint why we are suddenly half a yard off the pace.
0: do you think it was a case of villa being really good or just us being really bad or a bit of both
3: it's certainly a bit of both i mean villa as as dan said are a really well-drilled team they know they know their roles exactly they know where to find the spaces and we'll get on to the first goal but the way they manipulated our players to get that space it just shows they have plans set to in order to, to get that space to make chances and again, in that first half, we were just so slow. We weren't pressing as a team. We weren't defending as a team. We were scattered on in the midfield. I, I think it's a bit of both, but um, the the real the real worry I have as well is I just don't see where we're going to improve. We, we've used pretty much everyone in our squad in different ways. I mean, is it time for someone like TC to... Have a bigger role, but then you question his his knees. There's there's just a like an unease throughout the whole team, and I don't like this phrase we're seeing on social media that we'll be fine because there are three teams worse than us. Like we're going to slowly be dragged into a conversation with that if we continue. Not that not I'm still I'm hitting panic stations now, but um you know it's not it's not going to be a fun season.
0: I feel like if we can get some so the fixtures that we have coming up after the November international break, we've got that important game at home to Wolves on Monday the 27th Then we're away at Liverpool at home to Nottingham Forest which again is looking increasingly important at home to West Ham and then away to Newcastle you kind of get the sense if we can if we can get six points on the board from those games then we'll be a lot more comfortable and it will give us a chance to reinforce over January but it is just um, yeah it's starting to look a little bit treacherous Elizabeth. You
1: yeah, we need nine from those games. I'm afraid, guys, we can't be we can't be we can't be saying like, "Oh, a draw at home to Forest is an okay result." That's not an okay result. We need to win. Um, I was thinking. Those I games. was
0: thinking more. So you think win all of our home
3: games there?
1: Yeah, and then we can lose the other two.
3: But we are so good at losing to West Ham. I can't see us ever. <laughs> yeah. ever getting ever It's a to special
1: them. game for them. Um, they're allowed to use their hands in that game, as we know. So that's like nice for that. Um.
0: <laughs> well, Elizabeth uh, was just consulting her um her magical uh survival planner. Can you talk us through how we're how we're faring so far, please? And uh, and can you just give a brief overview to those who aren't familiar with this quite incredible system that you've devised? <laughs>
1: So like, I've never had a hobby in a normal way. Like I've never just like laid back and enjoyed it, Um, which is exactly (laughs) how I sort of commit to Fulham as well. So what I have is like a list of all the games that we play in the season. Um, The ones we need to win, which are our home games against the bottom half teams. The ones we need to draw, which are like some of our easiest away games and also some home games against the slightly better teams. And then we can lose the rest. Um, And it gets us to 37 points, which is, I think, enough for survival. Um, So that's all wonderful. And I think, like, I was going to come on to this when we start talking about relegation, which I'm sure we will later in the podcast. (laughs) The last four games, we needed to get zero points from. We got one. Like, it's a good return in many ways. We've done infinitely better than we needed to. And I understand why everyone is feeling so doom and gloom, because losing so many games and doing it so badly and the performances are really concerning um, but now we really need to back up our ideas we really need to start winning
0: yeah I mean we do we do it's been a, it's been a little while going back to the game on Sunday Dan I mean Villa's opener just felt inevitable <laughs> didn't it it was just you could see it coming a mile off it was Robinson's own goal uh, you know a ball coming in down from the um, from the left looked like a bit of um, indecision from from Leno. Could he have done better? I mean, he's obviously got infinite credit in the tank, but if you had to, I'd say it's probably um, probably Leno' mistake. Would you agree, Dan?
2: Yeah, that was my my initial assumption. I've seen the replays, and it is unfortunately Burns' fault. I think he she should be coming and just sort of clearing out there. But he does. He's at a split second where I think he thinks that Diaby is going to get a touch on it. He doesn't, and Burnt just sort of just stops in what he's doing, and really he's just got to do anything he can to get something on that there. And then I don't think it's massively Anthony Robinson's fault, but I, I said it at the game; he's starting to make a habit of scoring own goals at the back post, which, like you know. Once, you're you sort of like, oh, that's unlucky. But when it starts to happen more frequently than that, you start to wonder if, if there's something behind it. Like, maybe he shouldn't be getting caught in those situations so consistently. not a great but, habit to develop, um, is it? It's not. It's not. Especially especially when you can't score down the other end. It doesn't help when you're, yeah. you've, you're more likely to score in your own net. Like, <laughs> we could do without that, frankly. But yeah, as you said, that Burns got so much credit in the bank. It's just a bit frustrating that the past two games we've played, it will be... Annoyed that he didn't keep out Fernandez's effort, I reckon against United, and he'll be really frustrated that he he was sort of to blame for that first goal. But I have no doubt that he's going to once again win us more points this season than he'll lose us, like by a long way.
0: Mm, yeah, I mean, coming on to the second goal um, of us, I think we have to talk about John McGinn because he was just absolutely everywhere yesterday and really nullified our sort of star player in midfield. He just got the better of Jao and we rarely, rarely see this. Um, you know, drew a yellow card, which will mean he'll be out for Wolves, which is unfortunate. Sent him into a new postcode before he put that goal away on in his right favoured right foot. I mean... <laughs> oh, it- why the Fulham keep conceding on the stroke of half time? Like it's like they say it's the worst time to concede or the best time to score, and we seem to again, you say, making a making a bit of a habit of it at the moment. Yeah, and that goal
3: was so preventable as well. I mean, if, mm-hmm. if you if you look on the surface, you think, "Oh, Robinson's header is poor," and it is a poor header. It drops right into the perfect space for John McGinn to pick up the ball. But as you say, he sent he sent uh, for some milk and some bread uh, with that subtle turn, and his finish was absolutely quality. But leading up to that goal, if you watch Pereira, he is ambling back and he's probably seven yards off McGinn from behind when he strikes that ball. And if he is running in any kind of way with passion, he could have stopped that goal himself. As much as it's Zhao that could have stopped it from the front, Perra could have put pressure on him in the back. I think that goal was very, very preventable, and it just sort of speaks for the lethargy that we played for in that first, played with in that first half. Um, but McGinn had Zhao from the from the minute from minute one to when uh, to minute ninety. Zhao was just dominated by McGinn, out of thought and out. The tactics were great by Villa. Just have McGinn sit on Zhao, just just t- um, nudge him every so often just to get him to see a bit of red and get that that. And, and the yellow card itself was not a foul. McGinn jumped into Jaal but it was just the niggles that got to that point where McGinn just he dominated that midfield and it, it told with the with the performance he had
0: yeah McGinn took three of our players out with one turn sort of sort of, I don't know where's he from in Scotland the the Edinburgh Zidane just <laughs> taking out like Green Pereira and uh, I can't remember who it was but yeah it was just completely tore us a new one to be quite honest consolation goal however for Fulham of um, us as Raul Jimenez mm. rolled in his first Premier League goal in Finally. 34 games Finally. and 20 months. I kind of said, <laughs> no matter what the situation, there's going to be some celebrations. It turns out it was kind of a bit muted, but I mean, he must have been absolutely buzzing as as I'm sure the whole of the fan base were. Do you think this would be enough for him to kind of, you know, gain a bit of confidence? And do you expect now to see the floodgates open?
3: Well, I certainly think the confidence will be there. You could see it in his face as he was running back that he felt a bit. You can tell there was relief in his face. As much as it was a tap in, it was a huge moment for him to score, and big I think for Marco as well because Marco has shown a lot of faith in him over this season. So for him to finally score, it's it's great. So we can have that. He can have that monkey off his back. Whether that brings more goals, um, I think is yet to be said. It's time will tell. He's had some guilt edge chances up until this point where he's missed. So maybe that confidence will come now. I do think he'll start against Wolves. Um, although I cannot for the life of me understand why he got taken off three seconds after scoring. You'd think he's finally scored. He's got I don't know twenty odd minutes to maybe run around a bit and get get some excitement in his legs. Maybe have another pop shot. But he hit the post at the beginning of the, half, at the beginning of the second half. I don't get. I, like I wanted to talk about Marco. I, I didn't think Marco had a great game himself. Dan as as you said at the beginning, the the starting lineup was probably questionable. Harry Wilson's cameo was incredible. Um I haven't seen him play like that since the championship, perfectly honest. And the way that he um he did the pre-assist was absolutely brilliant, like a quarterback just spotting Robinson's run. Um But um oh I I I really hope this is the start of Rahul scoring between, you know, five and 10 goals this season. And, and really, like, shutting up those real absolute haters who um, we, we all know one or two of, um, who, who were, I think are harsh for, like, excessively. But um, let's see. Let's see where this brings us. Uh, we can't get overexcited. We can't get overexcited.
0: Mm. It, I mean, it was an infinitely better performance second half. Dan, what, what, was, what was it that you think Marco changed up to? Because we were arguably the better side for large spells at the second half ultimately it was too little too late but big big improvement
2: yeah I don't want to be too pessimistic but like it is entirely prefaced by the fact that Villa had already done the hard work like Villa had already put themselves in complete control of the game they sat off us a bit more but we definitely did play better like we, we moved the ball about better we tried to challenge them in a different way like we saw us actually trying to get in behind for once so we, we played a couple of balls over the top which then just gives Villa's high defensive line something to think about yeah it's an absolute dream for a high defensive line in the first half if no one tries to run in behind them because that is the, the only downside of a of a high line is that you can you're exposed in behind and we just decided to play in front of them the whole time Harry Wilson made a great impact I thought he was probably our best player uh, but I do think it has to be prefaced by the fact that, that Villa didn't have to do as much in that second half because they'd done the hard work. But overall, at least we saw some effort, some drive, some commitment. Because I, I said it on the day, I said it yesterday, I actually thought the first half was a disgrace. like an act, Like an And the fans in the away end and anyone watching at home just deserves infinitely better than what we saw in that first half. So to come out with at least something was a positive because after what happened that first half, like the, the, there, were, there was going to be some serious, serious slaughterings going on because it was ridiculously bad.
3: Dan, how would you compare that first half to the Brighton away first half? Because I thought that was a despicable first half.
2: Yeah, but I, I, I think there was like a level of passiveness against Brighton in the sense of our game plan felt like we were trying to let them play in front of us and just try and negate them in the final third, whereas it felt like against Villa, we just didn't have any application at all. That was my concern. It was just it. It looked like heads were down. You know, Dancy Robinson kicks one in, and everyone throws their hands up and sulks, and then McGinn scores, and everyone does the same thing again. And you're like, well, you can't all just throw your hands up and look at look up to the sky. You've got to actually stand up and do something. And I think that's what Marco said in his post match press conference was that he just gave the players some belief again at halftime because I think it's a big problem we've said it how many players have we said it with in this squad so far this season they look so devoid of confidence and like these performances come when when players just don't have any faith in their ability to get out on the pitch and win a game of football and you can see the spring in their step in that beginning of the second half when that belief was
3: sh- was brought into them. That first half they were, as I was saying before, just so sluggish and just so detached from each other. They weren't really playing as a cohesive team. There was the, the gaps between the midfield and the strikers, the midfield and the defense were so huge, um, and you know we got overrun so much that it was just a testament to the lack of confidence and just the the, the sluggishness of our play. You throw some confidence into them, and yes, Villa sat off, but we we played. We actually had some great chances. Um, And it's like, why is that not happening in the beginning of the game? What is it that they're fearful of to start games? And yes, we're going into a game against Villa, not expecting much. But then you, like, surely you look at what Wolves did yesterday. You look at um, what Bournemouth did the day before, sorry. And these teams are taking it to the team they shouldn't be losing to. Um, And we don't do that. Yes, we beat Chelsea last year. But really, do we really challenge any of these bigger teams in any game? We feel like we just participate rather than try to um, ruffle some feathers.
0: Yeah, our last seven wins from our last twenty six have all come against relegated or promoted teams and Everton. So that's a good chance. That's a good chance. <laughs> <Yeah>. You'll never see <laughs> <sing> that. <laughs> um- <laughs> But yeah, it is quite it's telling though. Yeah, it's a testament yeah. to
3: what, what we're all saying is that against the teams that we're supposed to compete with, we're competitive. And that's great, but there are fewer teams that we're competitive with. And as um, Dan is saying, if Villarreal leaps ahead of us, who are we really competitive with? Because at the beginning of the season, you're looking at teams like Palace and dare I say Brentford's results to see where we finish in the league. But we're, we're, one, we're one step lower now in terms of the teams that we're watching out for results from. We're, cele- we're, sorry, we're commiserating that Bournemouth won. When two weeks ago, we couldn't care less. Bournemouth are terrible. But are we now grouping in with that, that uh, goes group of teams? I don't think so quite yet. We've had a really tough four games. And as Elizabeth says, we've actually done better than we expected. But the problem is now we are expecting to get results. And the pressure is on. And we don't seem to do well under pressure. So it's a really big couple of weeks just to get that confidence back. And we need points. We just need these, these three home games are huge.
0: Yeah, it's quite telling actually that because we haven't actually been in a situation where we're looking at teams around us since that brief spell that we were kidding ourselves that we had a chance of Europe last year. I think that was the last time that we were actually concerned about what teams around us were doing. And now you're starting to look at what Bournemouth are doing, you're starting to look at, you know, around the table. Um, But yeah, it's it's quite... um, Worrying to be honest, Elizabeth. Just probably go into part two because we've got lots of uh, questions in, um, especially about certain players in the team. Well, how do we use this international break to to regroup? If you're Marco Silva, what are you saying to the team? What's your what's your kind of rallying cry?
1: Um, what a great question! Thank God I'm not a football manager. <laughs> Um,
0: you should say, "Please refer to my uh, <laughs> my table of um, <laughs> what exactly. have you called it?" By the way, I just keep I just keep referring to I Elizabeth's table.
1: I don't think it's got a title. Yeah, it hasn't got a title in my notebook. It's just you know, it's just there. Um, okay. w- Wolves at home is a must a must win. The team needs to be better drilled than they currently are. Um, without Polinia, we need to come up with a plan to beat Wolves without him in the middle of the park. We need to hopefully capitalise on the confidence that Raul might have got from scoring against Villa and make sure that there are good attacking plans in place because I just don't feel there are at the moment. And then we need to win. It's just we need to win the next game. Mm.
0: Should we go down the Mikel Arteta route of buying a, a, a team dog and calling it win? Do you think that could uh, turn our <laughs> fortunes around? Something like that? Something Yeah, I zany? think good. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Is okay like <laughs> it capable of scoring goals? Can't play up top. <laughs> right. Yeah. That'll do for part one. Uh, don't go anywhere because we'll be answering some of your questions.
3: Hello, it's Sammy here, and this episode of Fulhamish is supported by NordVPN. Now, NordVPN is a way of watching sporting events, TV shows, and films which aren't available where you are by switching your virtual location of your phone, tablet, or laptop to a country which is particularly perfect for those 3pm kickoffs which aren't televised in the UK. And right now, you can get an exclusive discount by going to nordvpn.com slash Not only will you benefit from their already huge discount, but you'll also get an extra four months for free. You can use one account on up to six devices. Also, it's completely no risk thanks to Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. So to get that special rate plus four free months, go to nordvpn.com slash or hit the link in the description of this podcast.
0: Welcome back. It's the Fullamish podcast. George here. I'm joined by Elizabeth, Dan, Anavas. We've got a question here from Trevor who asks... Are we officially in the relegation battle? Avast, what do you reckon?
3: Not yet. I, I think that uh, these four games have been very, very tough. We, I, I think a brave person would expect a, a couple of wins out of that, many points out of those four games. So I don't th- think so yet, but. I think we'll be telling in a a month's time whether we are or not. We're seeing where we are in a month's time Um, because as we have been saying, these three home games, uh, Wolves, Forest, and West Ham, we've got to pick up something. If we are failing to compete with these teams, then we are competing with those teams below us. But then we got this, we got January, this big elephant in the room. We're relying so heavily on the idea that we will get someone in January Um, and we're hoping that, oh, January will come, we'll get a player who can score some goals and we'll be fine. We're run by the Khans. They're going to probably nab someone cheap on the 31st of January and good luck to you, Marco. I really hope it's not that way. And as Dom was saying in the podcast last week, you've got to get him in in the first week. But if we, we can't hold our hopes that January is going to be what we think it's going to be, we need to, get, we need to pick up points. Um, and so this next month after the international break will tell us whether we're looking down or up.
0: Elizabeth, are you mentally prepared for the arrival of Danny Ings in January?
1: <laughs> um, n- no, is the answer. I'm not, but when, when he comes, I will welcome him with open arms.
2: <laughs> Can I, 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 I do think Coops to offer the flip I think we're I think we're in this I think we are being dragged into this and it's that like horrible little cliche of sleepwalking because I think actually wider media wise I don't think anyone currently intuitively would say oh yeah Fulham are one of the teams that's in the relegation battle but you you can't disagree with the table we've all played 12 games we're 16th and we're like deservedly 16th like, there, there aren't many games in there where you look and think, oh, Fulham, we're unlucky. If anything, we're lucky to have 12 points because we probably shouldn't have beaten Everton on the opening day of the season. We probably didn't deserve a point at Brighton. And I think with the, the way the team currently is and the squad that we have and the way we're playing, I think we'll stay up. I, I don't think we'll go down. But if we stay up, I think we do it by default as opposed to like merit I don't think we stay up because we were good enough to stay up. We stay up because there are some really shit teams in this division who are not prepared for Premier League football. And we are so lucky that they exist. Because if, 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 if two of those promoted sides, so if you look at, I don't know, let's say Burnley and Sheffield United, the two finished top two, were anywhere near the level that us and Bournemouth were last season, I think we could genuinely be down. But we are so lucky that none of them are up to scratch at the moment. Because we'd be bang in trouble.
3: So I was just saying, I was looking at the table this time last year and who had how many points after 12 games. Uh, and what's really interesting, I mean, depressingly for us, I mean, we had 18 points at this stage. We also had 12 more goals at this stage, uh, which is very depressing to look. But what I was looking at, what it's teams had... always as if had... we're
0: missing a player who's roughly yeah. worth around sort of 12 goals. Um, I Probably can't think, can think of anyone off days. the top of my head, yeah. but...
3: Yeah, sorry, Probably getting a nice right. suntan as we speak. <laughs> um, so I was looking at teams that had 12 points after 12 games and who they were. Now, one of them is ironically Aston Villa, but we know they were on their upsurge with um, Emery at this stage. Um, no thanks to us getting rid of Gerald for them. Um, but Southampton had 12 after 12 and Leicester had 11 after 12. Leeds had nine off 11 games at this stage. So we are points-wise, doing what the relegated teams last year did. Now, the caveat being that last year, the three bottom teams at that stage all had nine points, whereas now they're on like four, five, six points at most. So there is a discrepancy between the quality of those teams, but like no mistake we're, we're doing we're, we're at relegation form now as D- dance I think by default we will be all right but any other season we're we're struggling and not was it 10 goals after 12 games it's not something Marcos used to either let alone us so how he reinvigorates this team is it's huge for the rest of the season
1: perhaps also we're a good managerial change from one of those really terrible teams slash a good window in January from one of those terrible teams away from them getting good like we can't rule out I don't think it will happen, but we can't rule out Sheffield United doing a villa like we can't, what they did last season, um, which is concerning. If anyone wants to like get really sad on this Monday, I would recommend comparing the points we've got this season from the points we got from the same fixtures last season. I did it yesterday because I thought it might cheer me up, um, but in this season we got 12 points from our last 12 fixtures and the same fixtures last season. Uh, we got 21 points from them. So oh. yeah, not looking good, is it?
2: And I think this is this is where we stand up, though. This is where we stand up and we say that this is unacceptable. Like, this, this is what's making me really angry. And this is what, after I'd got over the the apathy towards our performance yesterday, I was driving back home on my own. <laughs> so you, you, you you're, you're sat in your thoughts. <laughs> and to think that we finished in 10th last season. And there has never been such a good feeling around our football club. And then to just bottle it all summer and screw the whole thing up, to screw two years worth of preparation for this moment. You know, we, we had that championship season under Marco where we were revitalized after years of terrible football. We came into the Premier League and we competed for the first time in over a decade. And then suddenly we just throw that all away. We just like, we just get rid of it. And we're like, "Right, well, we'll we're back to being Fulham again. We're back to Fulham under the Khans And this is how it's going to be. Or whilst we embroil it in all of the other issues that go in with the club, with the ticket prices and the amount of time it's taking to put this stand up. Like, <laughs> I just can't believe we've ended up here. Given that, what, six months ago we were laughing. We thought, hang on a minute, we are back and we are in the Premier League for a long time. How are we here on the 13th of November?
3: Yeah. That goodwill has absolutely disappeared, hasn't it? From what, March and April we were, maybe not that late, but thinking singing about Europe and having jokes about the potential of qualifying for Europe. And now over the, over a summer in which Mitro was going, he was always going and we knew that we were going to get a decent sum for him. So where is the preparation in terms of that? Why are we letting plinia hold a, a Bayern Munich shirt up? Waiting to be signed off to go there on the last day of the transfer window, without anyone like in the lineup for us. It doesn't make any. The, the preparation that summer was awful, and I would not have blamed Marco for walking away. Given as as Danny said, what he set up over those two years, it's so infuriating as well to see what Aston Villa are doing, and you can't help but feel a little bit jealous over them. they they stayed up by the skin of their teeth and they threw money into their team that summer and it's proven, yes, they had a, a poor managerial choice, but once they got that right, which we already have right, they're flying. And you just think, what if? And then the, then I also can't help feel jealous about teams like Wolves and Bournemouth who've just put in performances because they've got that real togetherness. We're just, we are missing so many di- connections here. The, the only connection we really have is the fans and the team. They will applaud us. They know that we love them. We know that we're going to travel and turn up at every game. We have no connection with the owners. We are infuriated at the pricing of these tickets. We've got to take a next step in that whatever that will be. And it just shows like a... Like a a culture in this club of just mediocrity and acceptance that yeah we're full and we're not gonna go out and splash cash on players in the summer we we can we can consolidate this year and it's like no this summer we were going to kick on we were going to be an established top 10 team and it's just a massive opportunity loss because the striker or the players that we sign in january are they going to really want to play for a team that's potentially fighting against relegation rather than trying to trying to get into Europe. I think it really changes who we can potentially sign in January.
0: Yeah, no, it's a very, very valid point. And also the thing that arguably concerns me the most of our current situation is just how precarious we are. Say Jao Paulinia goes in January, which is a very big possibility that he does. We don't really know what's going on there. Only time will tell. An injury to Bernd Leno like, these things can happen. And if they were to happen, we would be deeply, deeply, deeply in the shit. So, I mean, we can only hope that there's a huge January in store. We saw, obviously, with the Marco signing a new contract that the Cans are capable of pulling out these surprises. And, I mean, we just hope and pray that it's going to be positive because, yeah, if not, we're, we're teetering in the balance right now. And it's, I think fans are collectively starting to get a bit, you know a bit nervous. Um, we've got a question here from Andy S who asks, my question is how is it fair that Sunak can sign Cameron outside the transfer window? And we have to wait until January to get a new striker in. Um, I mean, I can't help but agree there, Andy. I saw another funny tweet that was uh, Cameron going to number 10 smacks of a relegation, threatened club getting on the phone to Sam Allardyce. Yeah. <laughs> Really made me laugh. Anyway, that's enough about politics. We've got another question here from Ian Fenton, who asks, uh, if fits, should Tosin and Bassi be tried as our centre-backs? Dan, what do you reckon?
2: Yeah, it's an interesting one. It's going to be, I'm really intrigued to see what Marco does when both Tosin and Issa Diop come back from injury. Because... Obviously, the preference is always to have your right-footed centre-back on the right and your left-footed centre-back on the left. And currently, we're playing with two left-footed centre-backs who, by and large, have played pretty well together. But then there are just moments in games where it collapses and we concede. And I mean, it's sort of a theme with Fulham anyway. Like, we all know that Issa Diop is great for 99% of games in general and then just drops a bollock out of nowhere and we concede. And when you're not scoring down the other end, that's obviously a problem. But... (laughs) I don't know. I really don't know who's going to drop out between Bassi and Ream. I think it will probably be Calvin Bassi, just based on the fact that that Tim Ream is, whilst not captain, he is sort of de facto captain because he plays a lot more frequently than He than does. He obviously brings an experience and a leadership. Has he been as good as he has been for the past two years this season? No. Has anyone? Probably not. But there are concerns, I think, for me as to... Are we starting to see the sort of the downward trajectory of Tim Ream? And in that moment, do you then pick a player who should be on the up in Calvin Bassey to play on that left-hand side? So I don't really know. I would like to see Calvin Bassey play at left-centre-back with one of Tosin or Issa Diop next to him. And I would love to see Tosin come back into this side. I thought it was quite weird that like, having been such a focal point in our back line for a couple of seasons, he suddenly just disappeared. And, and obviously it was deemed that maybe he wasn't of the necessary quality to be in this side or that he also didn't want to be playing second fiddle and, and sitting on the bench most of the time and saw an opportunity to get first team football. But I've always maintained that he's one of, you know, a, like a inform and frequently playing toss is one of our biggest assets because he is a homegrown, still entering his prime centre back. And that's, you know, that, that's a big thing. There's there's like monetary value that sits behind that if you utilise him properly. So I would like to see him come back in, but I really don't know what we do. I was going think, to
3: think of something outlandish with just thinking of the Wolves game. If with Pelinia not playing, has Bassi ever played DM? He's a strong, strong person who is well, a ball winner, great, great on his left foot, picking out passes. Do you play Reem and incoming Diop or Tosin and have Bassi in front of them? Is that too defensive-minded, or is that like out of position too much for Bassi? I just feel like he could be an enforcer.
2: Like he does have it in his locker to drive upfield. Like I love he like Issa Diop does the same thing. I love it when Calvin Bassi picks up the ball and drives. The only issue I have with it, and I was pro it, I was for it at the start of the season, but I think I'm becoming more against it. Is that to to play in the base of midfield you have to be so assured in possession and and, and Calvin Bassey inexplicably seems to like be capable of of, of pinging one one forty five yards across field and finding our, our winger on the opposite flank, but then misplaces five yard passes and like out of nowhere. And and it's it's the fact that it's still happening sort of three or four times a game, regardless of whether it was on his left or right foot, that I'd be worried and having him in midfield if he's got that in his locker.
3: Yeah, well, that's fair. I I, just, I was trying to think of if uh, with Polina not playing, obviously Reed, Reed would come in, I'd imagine. But I don't know if I want Lukic as another thought in that deeper role because like we've been saying before, I don't really get what he brings to this team. He's not quite a six. He's not quite box to box. And I don't think he'd be a good um, cam. So I'm trying to feel like what would be the dynamics of that midfield going into that Wolves game. Um, I, I'm most looking forward to Tete coming back. As much as castagna has been really really good I don't think he's the he's. I don't think I, I think Tete's a level above I think positionally attacking, uh, tackling wise I think Tete's clear Cassani probably brings a bit more attacking wise but um, Tete's no mug with assists and, and playing balls through I, I think him being there is going to solidify that connection maybe if Bassi's still playing or certainly if Diop or Tosin is uh, Tosin are. Um so I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to, to Tete coming back that that defensive line needs to be a bit more shored up and I think he brings that
0: Yeah, amen. While we're on the subject of defence, Elizabeth, got a question for you here from David Wilson. Should Robinson be dropped? Despite the assist yesterday, everyone knows about his poor crossing ability. My issue, however, is his reaction time at crucial moments within our penalty box. I'm not just talking about the own goals. Uh, Ballatore deserves a chance, I think. Do you agree with David or do you feel like this is a somewhat knee-jerk reaction?
1: potentially a knee-jerk reaction I'm quite a big Robinson fan I don't think he's had his he definitely didn't have his best game yesterday and I don't think he's had his best season maybe that does mean he should be dropped but I think what he gives us in terms of pace is so important I just don't think Ballatoria has quite the same electricity that he does well on a good day but the thing with Robinson is that sometimes a good day is a good day, but a bad day really is a bad day with him. Mm.
0: Dan, anything to add on this? I know you spoke concern uh, about the concerns you have over his uh, Ponchon for own goals at present. Um, yeah. What, what, what's your opinion?
2: No, I am. I am concerned because I think yesterday was one of his worst performances for Fulham. He had a hand in all four goals, obviously providing the assist for our goal, but the own goal, the, tame sort of meek clearing header that fell to John McGinn and then inexplicably and, and so cheaply giving the ball away after our own corner. And he could, I I could see it happening as well. Like I was, I was shouting, don't lose it, don't lose it, don't lose it. And he just ran into a blockade of three Villa players. and And that's what cost us for that goal. Obviously that, you know, we could have defended better after he gave the ball away, but to give it away in the first place was so costly. But I have always stood by Anthony Robinson because I think he provides us a real... He's a real strength in general in this side and people see his poor crossing. And yeah, okay, his, his crossing isn't the best. It, it it really isn't. But his ability to get up and down that flank is crucial, but also his defensive recovery pace is really important. And his ability to defend... Like Yesterday, Musa Diaby, who has been on fire this season for Villa. He's been a great signing for them. Didn't have a huge look-in. And I think you've got to say, a large reasoning for that is, is Anthony Robinson's ability on that left flank. And I like Fodo He's played well in the Carabao Cup, but defensively, I think he has looked questionable at times. He looks like he makes rash decisions. He sort of jumps in and we don't need another rash defender in that back line at the moment. And I think better the devil you know in Anthony Robinson where I think he has consistently proved especially at Premier League level that he is a Premier League left back and so for me you stick with him because he is our best option
0: right we're going to end with a bit of a fun question here so we've got our good friend of the pod J.E. Harkensal who's got in touch to ask asking for a friend hang on let's do that again (laughs)
2: <laughs> I know what accent that was meant to be as well. I have no idea
0: I'm
3: an Australian.
0: That's, that was so off. Sorry, I'm We'll try again. I'll do a running jump. As an Aussie, is it okay to have a second side? This is. Oh, I'm sorry, John. I'm just going to do it normally. Asking for a friend.
1: No, you've got to put <laughs> this.
0: That, okay. that was a good start. Asking for a friend. As an Aussie, is it okay to have a second side? Is this an reliable thing? Just with Ange doing so well and the support Aussies OS thing, we get rammed down our throats. It just seems sort of okay to at least think about it. Thoughts? There you go. I do apologize, John. But um, I guess the question is, is it okay to have a second side? I mean, John's, um, you know, argument is that he's he's an Australian and uh, obviously Ange is doing very well. He's winning uh, a lot of plaudits and... Uh, doing it with a plum, very likable guy that everyone would like to have a pint with. Um, <laughs> I guess my question is, if okay, let's rephrase this: if you were to pick a second side, what second sides are okay? Because my feeling is, yes, that's fine, but it can't be Spurs, cannot be another <laughs> law, uh, another another London team in our league. Um, I'm going to throw a suggestion out there. I think that okay, second teams, um, a team like Wimbledon local but not really kind of in our kind of league you know we're unlikely to face each other likable team phoenix from the ashes this that and the other um also teams abroad i guess are kind of fine if you want to be like jack collins and pick a team in every country if that floats your boat so be it for not for me but let's 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 keep it within the remit of the uk are there teams that you think are okay to be your second team elizabeth what do you reckon
1: yeah, I think any team below um, championship level, so not a championship team, but League One and below is fine to have a second side because we're not going to play them. Um, and if we come up against them in the cup, then that's like the best thing ever. I have a second team. I used to live in Cambridge and I look out for the results of Cambridge United um, and they constantly disappoint me. So in many ways, it's like supporting Fulham. Um <laughs> but yeah you can have a second team but your second team can absolutely not be spurs like what what's yeah. going on with that you can like Ange as much as you like but you're
0: cambridge almost scored yeah. the own goal of the century a couple of weeks back didn't they did you see that elizabeth it was like a 40 yard volley from from <laughs> there right after the keeper very nearly missed dan and any teams okay to support as a second team i think have you got a second team? What actually? We need-
2: I think what we need to do is sort of is clarify it for John because I think his heart's in the right place. And I think there is a clear difference between having a second team and just, you know, having a a like or a preference for a side. I think there are all, we all have like Premier League teams that we don't mind. Like, you know, I said it earlier, my best mate's a Wolves fan. I'm happy if Wolves win, unless it's to the detriment of Fulham, at which point I'm not happy. And so I think John is allowed to be proud of what Ange is doing and, and you know, when he sees Spurs get good results, he's allowed to be pleased. But as soon as Fulham come into the fray, that disappears. And as soon as you play Spurs, you hate big Ange and I don't care where you're from. You hate yeah. him. And that's the rule. <laughs> and then in terms of, yeah, I think elizabeth got it spot on. Second team sits lower down the pyramid and like two divisions below where you're at. I think. Yeah. And cool. I think that's valid. I would say, Very loosely, my second team would probably be Boreham Wood because I've gone and seen them a few times during international breaks because that was the closest team to me where I was growing up in northwest London. But otherwise, yeah. I was also international teams. I follow Napoli. Um, I spent a lot. we, We went there every year on holiday near Naples. So Napoli became my de facto Italian team. And it's nice because... You want them to win, but ultimately you don't feel how we feel today when Napoli lose because <laughs> you don't have much skin in the game. But, yeah. So I think I think there's there's some clarity for John there where it's fine to want Spurs to win, but you can't call them your second team.
0: Yeah, okay. I think, I just, think we're, just, we're establishing just, some sort of rules here. Avas?
3: Just to add, I'd probably con- contrast it to cricket in a sense that I'm originally from Pakistan and I'll support Pakistan cricket, but I'll also look out for Moin Ali and Rashid Khan. Uh, um, so I'll see, see how they are doing and support them but when England play Pakistan I don't want them to, well I want them to succeed but not the, not the team um, so I can understand John's point is that he's looking out for his fellow Aussies and so from that perspective I can understand him being happy with Ange and celebrating all things Ange because what a breath of fresh air he is with his um, amazing press conferences and his constant use of the word mate um, <laughs> um, but at uh, but the, the moment that Spurs play Fulham you can't you can't be supporting Ange I think, that's, I think that, as Dan is saying that's the perspective is that you you can love them from afar, but you can't love them too close. Um, yeah. and that's and that's how I would that's how I would do it. I think Neutra that works.
0: Product. I yeah. What what a note to end on. There you go. I'm I'm trying to <laughs> think of who my second team might be. Forest Green Rovers. I See, I like what those crazy hippies are doing down on the uh, on the <laughs> West. Um, so right I, I
3: support I support Burton as my second team purely because I was born there. So I kind of look out for how they do. I mean, I, I, would, I left there when I was six months, so I couldn't care less about the town. But I'll look out for their result.
0: Liz, before we go, would you like to name the podcast for us, please?
1: Um, Yeah, I'm going to go with Matt Wall's McGinning to Worry.
0: Very good. Yeah. Uh, Excellent stuff. Well, thank you so much uh, to my lovely panel, Elizabeth, Avass and Dan. I hope to see you soon. Um, Yeah, the Thursday Club will be back on Thursday. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. Until then, have a great week and come on you